Hello from the children of planet Earth. Hi, I'm Dr. Amanda Bauer. And I'm Dr. Alan Duffy. We're astronomers. And in this podcast, we talk about the astronomy that excites us. Like the sun takes 250 million years to orbit our Milky Way galaxy once. That feeling you get when you realize that the sun is only 20 galactic years old and will be dead by the time it's 40, that's what we call cosmic vertigo. This season, we are zooming out step by step from our comfortable perch on planet Earth. We're now leaving the stars behind. The next step is to explore the life and times of our very own galaxy, the Milky Way. Five, four, three, two, one. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one, end of death. Our galaxy is a spiral galaxy. Similar to the solar system, it's a big flat pancake, but on a much, much bigger scale, where we have planets going around the sun in our solar system, now we have entire suns going around the Milky Way. 400 billion of them, to be exact. <laughs> 400 <laughs> billion stars zooming around the center of the Milky Way in this flat disk, this flat pancake. It's a big galaxy. It's a big one. And it's not just stars. There's gas, there's dust, there's little clumps of stars, there's a big supermassive black hole sitting right at its center. I mean, this is a pretty exciting place. Oh, and let's not forget the dark matter. I was going to point out, you can't <laughs> see it, but it is there. It is holding all of this structure together. Thanks, dark matter. We'll cover you in another episode. We'll get back to the dark matter. <laughs> Can't wait for that one. Our sun sits 26,000 light years from the center, which means we're in a very unfashionable arm of the spiral galaxy. And we get to look back into the galaxy and we see this as a band of light in the night sky. From the southern hemisphere, you actually look towards the center of the Milky Way. So you get so much better of a view than from the northern hemisphere. Yeah, and it's why a lot of the next generation telescopes, they're all coming to the Southern Hemisphere for this uniquely beautiful, interesting view. So what does it look like in the night sky? It's actually this glowing line that sort of stretches from one horizon up above and then off to the other side. It does cover the sky. I mean, all the stars that we see in our night sky are part of the Milky Way. But since it's this flat disk that we are sitting in on the Earth, we look out through that disk and that's what forms this white line of a glow. And when you have hundreds of billions of stars, they just begin to blend into this beautiful continuous band of light. This collective glow of billions of stars is what we see. But if you look closer and you look towards the middle of that band, you should see dark regions, dark clouds almost. They're not clouds on Earth, but they are clouds in space. It's one of the first things that really got me into the field of study that I'm in, using telescopes to study galaxies, wondering what the heck those dark spots were and why this Milky Way was so patchy across the sky. And stories as to why it's patchy have been around for thousands and thousands of years. The Aboriginal cultures, instead of just telling stories of how the stars make lines and fit together, actually have stories of those dark spaces in between that bright glow of the Milky Way. One of my favorites is there's kind of a dark spot inside of the Southern Cross. One culture calls that a stingray. Ah. <laughs> and the two pointing stars that connect it are two sharks that are following it. <laughs> oh, that's cool. It's 
interesting how many different cultures come up with similar stories to describe the Milky Way. We call it the Milky Way. It's glowing white, so it kind of looks like a milky road going across the sky. Uh, the Latin base of the Spanish use Via Lactea, which is also a road of milk. Even the German is Milchstrasse, which is milk street. So they all kind of follow that. And yet a lot of the Aboriginal cultures refer to it as a river. Mm. So it's not a road, it's a river, which gives you an indication of the history of how old these stories actually are. Now, how did the Milky Way come to be? It's 13 billion years old already. It formed really quickly after the Big Bang. Well, it was basically a cannibal. The Milky Way, as with all galaxies, started off as a little bit of a clump of atoms that just happened to have slightly more atoms than average. Yeah, after the Big Bang, the particles were distributed pretty smoothly across the Amazing, entire so. universe, but not quite exactly smoothly. And that's a really good thing for life. <laughs> yeah, those ended up being the seeds of galaxies as we see them today. Our baby Milky Way, 13 some billion years ago, when the universe was still actually kind of boring with basically atoms not doing much, just hydrogen, helium floating around, that gas began to clump together. And we really start the clock on the galaxy when it gets to about a million times the mass of our sun. That's when you have enough gas and it begins to get dense enough that some kind of interesting stuff can happen. And one of those fascinating things is that it begins to form stars. When they form, they form as these giants and potentially in exploding at the end of their lives, they can actually devastate the galaxy they live in. So the very first experience of our Milky Way galaxy growing up was probably not great. <laughs> it was a pretty harsh world to live in for a while. It was a rough time. Mm. And not just because of your own stars exploding, but actually also because you were constantly getting smashed into by all of these other what we call proto-galaxies, these and, small clumps. And you had your supermassive black hole that was kind of feeding on things on and off. It was a chaotic, crazy period in the history of the Milky Way. So we have these collisions from all of these neighboring galaxies slamming in. But actually, we were also getting fed. There was a constant flow of atoms along the dark matter filaments, dark matter structure, this cosmic web that we'll talk about and that in a later episode. fed so much new star formation. We were just a nursery churning out stars and churning out stars, thousands and thousands per year. I mean, it was huge. For the first several billion years of the Milky Way's existence, it was just bursting stars constantly. Yeah, they do not build galaxies like this anymore. <laughs> no, they don't. Our, our, our galaxy population, when we look out into the universe around us, is really boring middle age. So we mm. went from this really intense growth phase, uh, basically being a teenager, breaking out in horrible spots in terms of all these explosions <laughs> that keep happening across our surface. You're calling our star a pimple. That's what you're saying. <laughs> I'm saying the ones that were exploding. I'm just going to say those. <laughs> okay, those okay actually, that's, that's a pretty good analogy. <laughs> and all of those collisions do something special. They build up a very special part of our galaxy. They build up the bulge. Resisting Dirty Space News joke. <laughs> oh, my God, I didn't even think of that. What is wrong with you today? Oh, my God. All right, focus, Milky Way. <laughs> when those early galaxies were colliding together, they would usually have disks. Disks actually form super easy. And that's a very delicate structure. So our early Milky Way's disk got smashed in the process of, of colliding with and consuming through this galactic cannibalism, these other proto-galaxies. Now that destruction just threw the stars in all sorts of random orbits and you end up forming a structure which we call a bulge. This is a 
legacy of the violence of our youth. Anytime we look out into the night sky to other galaxies and we see that they have a bulge structure, we know they've had a massive collision at least once, if not more. So those first batch of stars that were forming were forming from the gas that was essentially hanging around after the Big Bang, the, the hydrogen, helium, little bit of metals, but not much. Sorry, that is horrible astronomer <laughs> nomenclature. Everything heavier than... Well, than hydrogen or helium? We call it metal. Astronomers call it metal. I yeah, know the chemists well. can all have a good laugh, but it's just easier that way for us. <laughs> yeah, we're like, did it form in the Big Bang? No, no it's a metal. Metal. So everything that was forming in stars, all these heavier elements, slowly over time, there's ever more complex, interesting, heavy elements going into the stars. And that means the stars become ever more what we call metal rich. That means you can look out into the Milky Way today. And if you see stars that are metal poor, that is, they don't have a lot of these elements, chances are they're actually extraordinarily old. They could indeed be as old as 13 billion years old. They could be these first populations that were growing back when the galaxy had spots. Now, after the first five billion years, let's say, with all of this crazy activity, we hit the peak of star formation in the galaxy, and it has slowly been not quite forming as many stars. It's been gradually decreasing since then. And just after that peak is when our sun actually formed. We stopped getting pelted, we stopped eating so many other little galaxies. We were still eating some, but not quite as many. And so our structure really settled into that nice disk, that nice pancake over that period of time. So today, we've actually been kind of calm. Not completely isolated. We definitely have an interesting neighborhood. Our neighborhood is called the local group. It's not terribly exciting, but that's what we call it. And you can actually see evidence of our local group. If you look up at the Milky Way shooting across the sky, just to one side of it, you see two really faint clouds, little smudgies in the sky. And those are actually entire galaxies. They're called the large and small Magellanic Clouds. These galaxies are much smaller than the Milky Way, but they still harbor billions and billions of stars. And they're actually stuck to us by gravity. Our cannibalism continues. They are spiraling around us and eventually they will just fall in and become part of our disk. But they're so much smaller than the Milky Way that they won't completely disrupt our structure. The two biggest galaxies in this group, the Milky Way, the big spiral galaxy, and the other one is Andromeda. Andromeda you can see in the night sky, but it's pretty faint. If you have infrared eyes, it actually covers quite a bit more of the sky, and it's pretty fantastic. But with your optical eyes, you can see it, but you have to know where to look, and it's easier to see it in the northern hemisphere. These two galaxies <laughs> have a bit of a, a tragic future ahead of them. It turns out Andromeda is heading directly for us. We know that they're gravitationally stuck and they're kind of spinning around this local group, but the fate is that they will crash right into each other. We didn't know if Andromeda was coming towards us at an angle and it was going to kind of slowly spiral around and eventually it would hit us. We can tell how quickly it's coming directly towards us based on the cosmic Doppler shift. We just take a spectrum, look at its rainbow fingerprint, and we can see that very easily. And it's very blue. <laughs> and it's very blue. It's one of the only blue galaxies in the entire universe. 
to determine how far left or right it's moving in the sky has been much more of a challenge. And only in the last few years have we been able to use Hubble to look at individual stars and Andromeda and measure how quickly they're moving across the sky. And it turns out they're not moving across the sky very much at all, meaning it's coming directly towards us. It's like a tornado. (laughs) If this thing isn't moving left or right, chances are it's coming towards you. This is going to be a whopper of a galactic cannibalism. And we are going to get eaten because Andromeda is actually bigger than us. Just by a little bit, but whew. It's going to be messy, messy eaters. We're traveling together at present at about a quarter of a million miles per hour. That means we have four billion years. So at about the same time that the sun is beginning to blow it up, life on Earth will almost certainly have been burned into a cinder by this point. Just in case we've somehow managed to survive that, we'll have the most incredibly awe-inspiring sight over the course of those next few billion years. Not just the Milky Way line across the sky, but this entire massive spiral galaxy coming closer and closer. (laughs) Getting ever bigger and bigger on the night sky. But then something extraordinary happens to our own Milky Way. Before we even touch, before we collide, the gravity of our respective galaxies is so enormous that we actually begin to warp Mm. each other. And that beautiful pancake disc of the Milky Way, this giant vinyl record in space, it actually begins to buckle and get twisted. So our band of light actually begins to warp before our very eyes, if you could just fast forward over the next few hundreds of millions of years. (laughs) But that same gravity is also stirring up whatever gas we have in the Milky Way, those dark clouds that block out the light, and they're beginning to form stars in this massive starburst, as we call it, or a burst of star formation. That means the night sky becomes blue as blue hot stars shine out. And then they all explode and everything goes (laughs) really crazy. And it gets really exciting for a while. (laughs) That is merely the approach. When we say these galaxies are going to collide, what you envision is some massive fireworks in the sky and stars crashing into each other and it's just a big party and celebration. When, in fact... That is entirely not what happens. Our intuition is completely wrong. The space between individual stars is so big that as these two galaxies pass by each other, with their hundreds of billions of stars, none of those stars actually collide. They pass through each other. But the gas feels the friction. Everything slows down because they're like, Whoa, what did I just go through? And then it comes back around and sort of whiplashes itself together, and very quickly from that point, forms one single galaxy. This new galaxy has essentially twice the mass of our Milky Way, but it looks completely different. We've lost all of the spiral structure. There are no spiral arms. It's a big cacophony. It kind of looks like a big football. It's totally chaotic. Stars are going everywhere. Yeah, this destroys the fragile disk structure. We turn into what's called an elliptical galaxy. That is to say, a train wreck of a galaxy. (laughs) And it looks super boring from our sky now. There's not really the new stars that are forming. The colors are all kind of monochrome. Sure, we're going to have stars in our night sky, but we're not going to have that Milky Way line stretching across the sky. It's going to... You get that. You sort of just get that general glow. There's now so many stars and they're so smoothly distributed across. You would just get a kind of a super boring background glow. Yeah. Sucks. Mm. I'd like to just talk about what we're going to name this new galaxy, because it can't just be the Milky Duffy. Way. It can't be. <laughs> the 
<laughs> I've already registered this at the IU. <laughs> They're very receptive. They told me they'll get back to me when the collision happens. Um, can I put in an argument against that, maybe? <laughs> you can try, but I don't think it's going to be convincing. Well, that is maybe a better name than Milkomeda. That's what the uh... current thing is. <laughs> I'm not very impressed, and we have time. We have time to change this. Four billion years, to be exact. I've gone out to school groups and I've talked to them and I've had some suggestions. And my favorites so far are Milk Dud. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Does anyone know what a Milk Dud is, though, outside of Australia? Uh, well, I consider it a candy. Oh, you know what? Oh, okay. I thought there was an Australian candy. No, they have it in the U.S. too. It's where uh, I grew up. We've got it. I think no one in Europe knows this reference. Okay. Well, then maybe that's why my joke crashed when I went to Europe and gave this talk. Oh, really? Oh, that's um, painful. <laughs> but the other one that I heard was milkshake. I kind of like that one. Oh, that is brilliant. <laughs> Leave it to kids to name things, not freaking astronomers. Oh, I love it. Okay. I, <laughs> I'm totally using that in my next talk. So soon we will uh, be the milkshake. And um, we have been shake, prowl, and roll. <laughs> so this sort of brings to an end the life of the Milky Way. We really aren't going to do much more. That's kind of it. I'm thinking of the the tragedy of modern day that we don't actually get out and see the stars on a regular basis because we live under the pollution of city lights. And that has only been in the last handful of generations. Mm. So in the last hundred years, we've gone from having these constant reminders every night when you go out to not really paying attention very much. Yeah. So few people look up mm. because, to be honest, there's nothing left to see. Yeah, there's a, maybe a handful of stars, maybe a dozen that you can yep. see in a city. Definitely not the Milky Way. No, no way. That's all the cosmic vertigo we've got for you this time. I'm Amanda Bauer. And I'm Alan Duffy. And this is produced by Joel Werner. In the next episode, this happens. Whoop! <laughs> <laughs> it's the chirp. Whoop!